Welcome, gamers, to Basement Arcade Pause Me, the show where we hit pause, sit back, and just chill. I am Ben Magnet, and today on the show, I have another amazing guest. He is another third of the Gamers Wing podcast, and no, it is not Dying G Retro, although we do love him having here on the show. He is a gentleman who is a professor of of, of a subject that is very near and dear to my heart. He also has a never once stand on Twitter. He, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Mr. Retro Game Bruce, aka Ryan Payne. Ryan, how are you today? Good morning. Good morning, and I am super excited to be on the show here today. So thank you so much for having me, and especially talking about a subject that is near and dear to my heart. So are thank you, you so much. Are you kidding? I absolutely... I am. I was absolutely stoked when you agreed to come on the show because I got Johnny G on. I had him on twice, actually. If you go, uh, audio listeners or even listeners of the show, when you, if you look back on the shows I had where I've had guests on the here, Johnny G has been my guest twice. Um, I was. It was really cool to meet him at Portland Retro Gaming Expo, even though I only got to say hi to him, give him a quick hug and a quick picture for like two seconds. And now I have another member of the Gamers Week podcast on. I kind of feel like Thanos because I'm slowly but surely getting people from <laughs> retro game from not retro gamers, your retro gamers yeah. from uh, Gamers Week on here. So now the only one I'm missing in my uh, gamer infinity power glove <laughs> is uh, Blue Williams. So uh, look for that uh, DM soon, Blue. Just like you know. <laughs> it's coming, <laughs> Blue. If you're listening, just your turn shall come. If you, well, of course, if you want to come on, if you don't want to, I it, I will not be offended. <laughs> And you know, it's uh, Blue. She's uh, somebody who doesn't show up on a lot of podcasts, but uh, super excited to kind of have her on our show. Uh, she she comes with a lot of really great information as well as insights. So uh, oh, yeah. I could, yeah, for sure. Blue's awesome. Oh, yeah. I will gush a little about Gamers Week. I know I've gushed about it with Ryan. But today, this is or not with Ryan, with Donnie. My God, what is wrong with me? I did the same thing with Donnie. I accidentally called him Ryan. He's like, I'm Donnie. I was like, uh, and that was live with the hot mic. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that made it into the episode too. So, Ryan, I'm so sorry. Anyways, but You're let's fine. talk about before we talk because our before we talk about our topic, which our topic today is video game history. Before we get into that, I would like to know a little bit more about you. Obviously, you are one third of the Gamers Week podcast, which I've said many times in the past thirty or two minutes. But how did your um, how did you get into video games? Like, what was the catalyst that got you into the medium? So as a kid, uh, I remember specifically the first video game experience I ever had was going over to my grandparents' house. They had an Atari 2600, and specifically I remember playing Keystone Capers and just falling in love with it, you know, the sounds, the visuals. uh, And it's a really, really fantastic game made by Gary Kitchener, which I've had the pleasure of actually interacting with on Twitter uh, to kind of let him know, like, hey, uh, by the way, you're, you're one of my favorite game developers of all time because that's my first experience into video games and then uh you know closer to the 90s uh christmas came along and uh, got that first present to open up big box and it ended up being an action set uh with the nes in it and uh, absolutely fell in love with the the nes and uh you know the interesting part was uh try to get my dad into playing and come to find out uh he had uh actually decided that he was going to play Mario one day and uh, it was probably 10 at night that he started playing it. And then all of a sudden realized that the sun was coming up and <laughs> swore off video games from there on out. He's like, this stuff is too addicting. I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. Are you kidding? Swore yeah. playing until the sun comes up is a grand tradition. It is a, it is a rite of passage. I, 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 
I told you what my work schedule is and how I've come home. I cannot tell you how many times I've come home from my uh, regular nine to five job. And I've sat down, I started playing video games. Now I come home, I normally walk through my door around 1 a.m. in the morning. And especially on a Friday night, because I thankfully I had the weekends off, I cannot tell you how many times where I've literally played a game, especially a game I've been wanting to play from like 2, 1.30, 2 a.m. in the morning till 6 o'clock in the morning, and I could see the sun. <laughs> that, to me, is a rite of passage Agreed. for any video gamer. Uh, please tell me that you're, when your dad swore off video games, he came back to video games. He likes No, and I think it had a lot to do with the day after playing that session of Super Mario Brothers. I think he had a pretty rough day at work, so uh, for oh. him, that was, yeah, it was a... Uh, Oh, it was, you know, kind of compounded as a result of having uh, a little bit too much fun with, with Super Mario Brothers. But man, that's a that's a bummer. I, I told I know I've told the story on the podcast before, but I remember when I got my NES, um, I asked my dad, my, like, or my dad came up to me for um, before the holidays. He asked me what I want for Christmas. And I mm-hmm. said, Super Nintendo. Unfortunately, he just heard Nintendo (laughs) (laughs) and he went to his sister, my aunt, and she had an NES that he didn't that she wasn't using. So and a bunch of uh, games. So she gave it to him and I open it up a Christmas morning. I'm visiting my mom's side of the family in Montana and I see this gray looking toaster thing and I'm all like. This isn't what I wanted, but I didn't want to seem ungrateful. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> because my grandparents did not take kindly to ungrateful kids, especially on Christmas indeed, of all things. Indeed. <laughs> so my dad was like, this is what you wanted, right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but the, the best thing about it is like a few minutes later, we hooked it up to my grandmother's TV and my 60, 70 some-year-old some grandfather all of my older cousins who were well into like their 40s, maybe 50s, my brother and I, we were very young at the time. Right. They're taking turns playing duck hunt. Because, <laughs> you know, it's Montana. It's a big hunting oh, community. They're, they're playing duck hunt. And I'm just, my brother and I are sitting there like, can we get a turn? And they're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. eventually, <laughs> eventually. And then we had, because we had like the um, the Duck Hunt Super Mario combo car. We had Super Mario Brothers 3. We had ice hockey, which is one of my favorite sports games of all oh, yeah. time. I absolutely love playing that game. We had like a, a, a decent menagerie of titles, a few LGN titles, a few game show games. And it was definitely a fan. It was, a, I wouldn't trade that Christmas for all the Super Nintendos in the world. <laughs> well put. All right. So. Your dad got an NES, um, and you were playing. You've been playing video games since the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, and you on the on Gamers Week podcast. You have a segment during the end of your show where it's Professor Ryan's Gaming History One Hundred and One. I absolutely love that segment of the of the podcast. Uh, what got you into gaming history? So I've always been somebody who's been fascinated with history. So growing up, you know, that was one of my favorite classes in school was, was history itself. And uh, one of the things that got me into video game history was a YouTuber uh, by the name of uh, Norm Caruso, who goes by uh, Gaming Historian and uh, loved his his segments. They were really well produced, really well researched and thought out. There you go. <laughs> uh, audio listeners, I'm pulling up a, a Gaming Historian journal that I bought when I met him at Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Guy's fantastic and just extremely intelligent and really tackles 
all that there is to know. Uh, so there, there was part of that. I knew I couldn't quite reproduce what he does, uh, but I, I thought to myself, well, you know, there's a lot of other stories that don't quite have an hour or 30 minutes worth of content, but still could be something that we could discuss on a, on a weekly basis. And, uh, you know, I just tried it out for the first time when we were starting the podcast last year mm-hmm. and people really were receptive to it. So I was like, all right, you know, let's, let's see if we can make this a regular thing. And uh, actually Donnie had reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, are you comfortable if I add a segment every once in a while uh, during that time frame?" And so what he does is the retro rewind in which he takes a month uh, of a particular year and grabs a whole bunch of magazines uh, to that. And I, I really, really enjoy that segment as well. Cause it's almost like it's a blast from the past. So uh, a mixture between those two, I think really makes for, for a fun segment in the podcast. And uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's fun for me to research this stuff just to find new and interesting uh, pits of, uh, of stories behind the gaming history because often you know what you, you see things that are just facts uh, that oh this happened and this happened but if, as you start to do more and more research into these particular topics you start to to really see the full story and that's exactly what i'm trying to portray when we do these you know professor rybred's gaming history 101 uh, is a chance to, to kind of retell some of those stories that people may not have heard mm-hmm. no um you and i share a kinship in the fact that um it was the gaming historians videos i just i i don't know how exactly I found his videos when I was just like, it was just one of those days I'm just going through YouTube and all of a sudden I see the gaming historian. I go, huh? And then I start, I start watching his videos. Eventually I start binging his videos and all of a sudden, cause I was, I was also a big history buff when I was in high school. All Mm -hmm. I was that weird kid who loved his history class. All my friends are like, oh, history is so boring. It's so lame. I'm like, no, but we get to find, but we get to learn about what happened in the past. Right. We get to learn about, sorry, I'm making sure my cat doesn't knock over my, uh, my wake up <laughs> juice. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. We get to learn about what happened back in the, we get to learn, I mean, not just what happened today, but the events that led up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm, I love learning about, like, say, medieval history. Oh, yeah. Um, early um, 19th century history because I just, and even though that, a lot of the records back then were kind of like were still wonky. It was still fun to learn um, to me, especially I'm a huge fantasy nerd. But even going to video games, it's just le- especially learning about um, stuff that happened in the early 80s. Of course, the well, I mean, we'll get into it more, but just diving into the rabbit hole that is video game history is like all this stuff is very interesting because it's not just about the programmers. It's about the people working in marketing. It's about um the gamers who experienced this, like what was going through their minds about right. when they were playing this. And it was just so interesting to me. And just, I just fell deeper and deeper into it that even this year for Christmas, my girlfriend um, got me like three different books on video game history. Nice. I love that. Uh, <laughs> I'm also a huge video game book, uh, history book buff as well. So, oh man. Uh, the more I can get my hands on. In fact, one of my favorite books is uh, "Once Upon a or Once Upon a Once Upon Atari." That's the word, uh, written by Howard Scott Warshaw, and he just goes through his entire experience of you know working at Atari and and going through the entire 
process of creating ET for for the Atari 2600 as well as Yars Revenge and just the the the, the best part I like about that is the way that Howard writes it's very conversational so you feel mm-hmm. like you're there rather than just you know like I said before just listing facts he's talking about his emotional experiences where his head was at when he was creating X Y and Z uh, and it's just it's an amazing read and it's fairly short which is great as well mm-hmm. uh, so just getting a chance to to get inside his head and he's also one of my favorite developers of our time all time yars revenge is is fantastic game uh there's not a lot of games on the atari 2600 that can keep your attention for more than 10 or 15 minutes right. yars is definitely one of those that can oh no howard scott warshaw is an absolute blast because you interviewed on your show i was lucky enough to i was grateful enough to talk to him and interview him on this show as well and when i got to meet him at uh because I met him at uh, PRGE. I'm just signing his book because you're absolutely right. Um, I was reading his book on my flight to Portland. Um, It's very conversational. And just talking to him about his mindset for E.T. And even watching the Game Over Atari, um, like Game Over documentary Mm -hmm. was it was fascinating because I definitely growing because growing up, I definitely fell into the trap or the Internet trap of E.T. is the worst video game of all time. It's the thing that caused the video game crash. But watching that documentary definitely changed my mind about it, about how E.T. isn't the worst game of all time. Because if once again, if you think about it, E.T. is a technological feat for 1982. This man was given five weeks to fully script or to fully develop, create, design, script a game. And yes, this is back in 1982. Computers were very like... My iPhone can eat um, an Atari cartridge for breakfast. <laughs> with, with all the stuff I can do on this sucker, it could eat an Atari cartridge for breakfast. My laptop, which I'm recording this on, could probably eat in like three 2600s, like a salad and not bat an eye. <laughs> but back then, it was just amazing how one person made an entire video game. Right. And for the longest time, we've been unapologetic or the internet or a lot of people on the internet have been unapologetically bashing this poor man, but he's been taking it in stride. And thankfully, oh, yeah. I'm, and hope, and thankfully now the the script has changed a little bit, where it's where we've taken a step back and it's like, you know what, ET isn't the worst game of all time. My vote is the Pac Man port, uh, the the Pac Man Atari Twenty Six Hundred port. That's the worst video game of all time, in my humble opinion. <laughs> but what you're I. Nope. Yeah, what I like about Howard, though, is that he really embraces this idea that it's the worst video game of all time because Yars is often, and he said this to us, is Yars is often considered one of the best games of all time. Mm-hmm. And he also has programmed one of the worst games of all time. So he feels as though that is an accomplishment to have that kind of range. Oh, yeah. Uh, as far as a developer is concerned, <laughs> I think that's great that his mentality is so incredibly healthy with that. I think your average person wouldn't be able to uh, handle the the level of, you know, not necessarily hate, but just criticism mm-hmm. of that experience. And a lot of it just comes from the fact that most people, like you said, don't really know that this was programmed in five weeks. And right. given I mean, really, it was probably a little less than five weeks because there was a, a point in which he was just coming up with the concept and then had to present that to steven spielberg and so uh my goodness uh what what yeah. a, a story to tell and mm-hmm. just having a guy being so healthy about that that entire uh mindset uh when it comes yeah. to it moving forward so oh yeah super, super awesome guy oh yeah he he's an absolute joy to talk to i absolutely love talking with him the fact that to me i was just blown away because i i emailed him because he had 
I emailed him and I was like, like, I'm a very small show. Uh, pod, Baseball Arcade Pods Mini is a very small show on the internet. And the fact that he was, that he took the time to talk to someone like me and because we, we talked for a good half an hour about him working on, on games and how his reaction to the, essentially the ET hate over the years, it was, he was an absolute joy to talk to that I need to have on the show again. Um, and also, you're absolutely right. Yars Revenge is an amazing game. I found, like, unfortunately, I do not have a 2600 that I could go to my TV and plug in. I do have a cartridge, though. <laughs> and I did get him to sign both that awesome. and my ET cartridge. So Love that it. was nice. And when I actually got to play Yars Revenge at Portland this past uh, uh, PRGE, Yars is amazing. Oh, my God. I, fantastic I, game. I, I don't want to give... I don't want to give too much crap to Atari games because once again, I call the age of Atari like the primordial age of video games sure. because no one really knew what they were doing back then. They were just mm-hmm. like, Hey, we think this is fun. There are, there are no set rules. There is no, we can't, uh, can, we can't really um, compare it to Mario to Sonic to uh, crash bandicoot or anything like that. Cause that's way further down the line. Mm-hmm. But yards revenge was definitely interesting. It was definitely had this like, I really wanted to keep playing it, but also at the same time, I have a bunch of different other consoles around me. It's like, sure. I want to go look at the <laughs> But yeah, so both of us are big history buffs. Both of us love reading video game books. Um, what's your, besides um, Once Upon Atari, do you have any other video game history books that are your absolute favorite? Or do is there just like a bunch of menagerie that you could just like, like just throw a dart and it's like, yeah, that's my favorite at this moment in time. Uh, right now, I'm reading the story of Kubert. Uh, oh. You know, I forgot the guy, the name of the guy. I'm, 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 I'm which is embarrassing considering how much I, <laughs> I pride myself <laughs> on my knowledge of, uh, of video game history. But that's it's also a really interesting story. Kind of his take on uh, the progression of it and uh, how exactly uh, he was involved from point A to point B. Uh, so that's something I've started. And in fact, um, one of the things that I would love to do is to have him on uh, Gamers Week in the future as well. Uh, that's that's another part of it. When we invite a guest onto the show, I really, really want to be able to read at least if they have obviously a book out there. I would mm-hmm. I would love to read it so that you know at the end of the day I can I can speak with some you know semblance of being informed when it comes to to their story because I think one of the things because really. Howard was our first like big interview with somebody of video game history. And by reading oh, yeah. that book, he, he said to me, he goes, ah, you know, I can tell when someone reads the book and when they don't, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, beautiful. Glad I passed the test. <laughs> you know? uh, so that's been like a, a, a point for us. Uh, and, and so like we had Rebecca Heineman on the show. So I did a oh, yeah. whole bunch of research about her uh, and her experience with interplay. So uh, that has really driven my, my book reading uh, processes is there somebody that i would want to have on the show whether or not they're going to come on and agree to that's that's irrelevant i want to find uh books that of people that i would love to talk to mm-hmm. uh, and so that, that that really decides it but like i said right now it, it's uh you know the kind of the story behind cubert and it, it's right. it's really really good i'm about halfway through it so looking forward to kind of figuring out what the end of that is but um, i actually met him at uh, southern fried gaming expo uh, and purchased the book there and said, Hey, well, you know, would you be interested in being on the show? And he says, yeah, sure. Just, you know, give me, uh, you know, give me your contact info. And, uh, one of the things I said is I'd really like to read the book first. And he goes, good. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, hopefully someday we'll have him on the show. No, that's awesome. And I completely forgot that you had Rebecca Heineman on the show. Cause mm-hmm. I wasn't familiar with her until a little show on Netflix came out called high score. 
and learning her story once again fascinating me because she's the first like official video game champion of the world right first eater or esports champion that yeah existed. yeah she's the first one mm-hmm. and she won it in space invaders and <laughs> i didn't even know they had video game competitions back then i was a familiar I I may be a child of the 90s, but I was born in 1990. So when Nintendo was doing the World Championships, I was unfortunately way too young, and I did not have (laughs) any video games in my house to practice for it. Sure. But the fact that she was the first champion, and the fact that you interviewed here, and I absolutely adore your episode. She's definitely someone that I would love to have on my show as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But... The fact, just like hearing her story about going to New York, about playing Space Invaders, about being really good at Space Invaders, because I like a good, I'm a not that good Dave Space Invader, but I like playing Space Invaders. I can understand. I enjoy it. I also have a uh, Atari 2600 card because this is like, his, to me, this is a historical thing and that I want to hold on to. Right. If I ever get like an Atari clone console, like, yeah, I'd love to, to, to pop that sucker in and give it a few and give it a go. But just, hearing that she was the very first one and the fact that the very first um ever video game champion is a woman it's like oh that's awesome (laughs) and you know what's interesting about her is that you know the transition from being a video game champion and then eventually being a a leader within the video game industry uh founding Mm -hmm. interplay and being involved in a lot of different video game ports Uh, she's actually renowned for her ability to port a game from one console to another uh, and then just her struggle, uh, as far as her transition was concerned, uh, mm-hmm. was really, really interesting as well. And uh, now, again, she's uh, she's in the public space and uh, out there and uh, expressing her views and, and super glad to have her voice be out there as well. Uh, because, again, she has such an interesting history and just an interesting past. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jealous, absolutely, one hundred percent. You you kidding me? The fact that I found out that there was such a thing as video game championships when I was a kid, I was like, I could do that. Now I'm looking at how like esports is today. I'm like, right. I don't think I can do that. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, what was interesting about her is that I think that she had this idea that you know what i'm pretty good at this let me let me give it a try and then when she went to compete not realizing how amazingly good she was at space invaders and uh when she finished her first round uh she saw that she was like on the top of the leaderboard and she was like huh how about that you know (laughs) very Uh, nonchalant not you know very like uh, humble and that like yeah okay that that works i I think that's one of the things that really draws me to like want to learn more about her story is how humble she is she's Mm -hmm. not like yeah she's not i mean granted back in the 80s there were people who were cocky about this new medium about this medium that was gaining traction it's like oh yeah i'm the best at x y and z Mm -hmm. and she's just like huh how about that right Totally different mentality than, than De- you'll probably see today, too, from eSports. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Def- definitely. Um, I, I want to say, like, the, the best compliment that my nephew has ever given me, but he never said this to my face. He only mentioned it to his mom, my stepsister, <laughs> was that when my nephew was younger, he said he thought that I would be able to win at the Fortnite World Championships. Nice. And this was a time where I was not playing Fortnite, where I was very much against Fortnite. My tune has changed. I enjoy playing the game. It's very fun, actually. And she texted me that she's like, Hey, uh, your nephew thinks you can win in the Fortnite World Championships. I'm like, uh, if I played, I, I'll take that. <laughs> I'm not awful. that good. <laughs> 
but you got your own fan base, which is awesome. I, That's fantastic. I, I do have a little. I do have. Well, his his um, interest shifted from video games to music now, but he still enjoys games, which makes me happy. Fantastic. All right. So going back to uh, like the main topic of video game history, mm-hmm. out of curiosity, what is your favorite era of video game history to study and to learn about? That's a tough one. Uh, it's probably a tie between the 80s and the 70s. The 70s in particular because it's just so brand new. And to your point, which you, you kind of uh, talked about the Atari being kind of the Wild West where no, there are no rules. It's pretty much people are making it up as they go. That's the interesting part to me because there are so many great uh, discoveries as a result of that. I mean, if you look at Jerry Lawson when it came to oh, yeah. the uh, Fairchild Channel F, and really he was the first one to put... Uh, you know, a uh, a series of chips into the, the the Fairchild Channel F, and really was scoping those out in the early '70s to create this mm-hmm. product. And uh, at the time, he ended up purchasing them from Atari for because they were making or using those chips for the the Pong consoles. And um, oh, I take it back; it was the other way around. Uh, so Atari approached him because he was working at Fairchild Semiconductor. And he saw that this was being used in the video game space. So he's like, hmm, you know, we can do this too. And it was, it's just an interesting spot to that. Now, now fast forward to the 80s where all of a sudden gaming is a much more viable industry. Uh, In the early 80s, there's this explosion of all of these different consoles that are coming out, all of these different PCs uh, that are available from a gaming space and just different genres of games are being created out of nowhere. You know, the Maze Chase game with Pac-Man, you're looking at RPGs with like a Calabeth and eventually what's turned into Ultima. Uh, you're you're looking at even just Dragon Quest becoming the, the JRPG uh, moving forward. So it's it's an amazing time to see all of these small genres beginning to gain traction, gain space. And looking at the fact that we still play a vast majority of these games still today, uh, or at least games influenced by those genres today, uh, is really, really exciting. And it's almost like, you know... Uh, as far as movies were concerned, like the 60s and 70s of the cinema industry, how that transitioned from being very dialogue driven to more action, more storytelling. Uh, It's it's an interesting kind of tale to tell as you move Mm -hmm. forward into the gaming space. So it's a it's a tough say between 70s and 80s. I don't get me wrong. I do love the 90s and the early 2000s because it just it's 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 like turning it up to 11 when it comes to all of the things that that we discussed prior to that but it's still the 70s and 80s influenced those times as well so mm-hmm. very very interesting to me oh yeah um i do i absolutely i mean it's a dark period of history but i absolutely love learning about the crash of 82 here oh, yeah. and even when i found it because i I write for uh, a magazine that's based out of in uh, the UK. Mm-hmm. And when I remember I was talking, I was talking to one of the writers and she was like, Oh yeah, we didn't have that. I'm like, wait, what? Cause I'm, us being here in the United States, there are times where we mentioned uh, big events and we think that, Oh, it's worldwide. We fail to right. mention that this wasn't, this only happened in North America. Whereas if you look outside of North America, especially in Europe, uh, in Asia, South America, there was no such thing as a gaming crash of 1982 mm-hmm. or 1983 video games were still very much popular and they were still being made. It's just, unfortunately here in America and, and I believe Canada as well, right. 
we just screwed up so bad that the market <laughs> that the market dipped. <laughs> right. And finding out that the rest of the world was fine. It was us that had the problem. It's like that makes so much sense if you think about it. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. <laughs> But but yeah, to to your point, learning about the eighties, it, it truly is fantastic. Like learning about how tennis for two, then you go to space war, and then you go into Pong, and then you go into Atari. And even for the longest time, I only thought I thought Atari the Atari twenty six hundred was the very first at home video game console. True, you had the Magnavox, but that was just so old, so primordial that the Magnavox Odyssey was like the fact that you had to put sling or clings on your television right. screen to <laughs> properly play games was like wow that is i mean they were trying they were honest to god trying mm-hmm. and then when i find out about the fairchild channel f i'm like what is this console i've never right. heard about and once again i know i mentioned prg before but thanks to prge i actually got to play a fairchild for the very first time and that controller is wild. The, oh my god! The it knob is. on the top, and then you can press down <laughs> on it. It's uh, that's revolutionary to me. Is is yeah. having? Uh, I think it's eight directional, eight way directional uh, mm-hmm. controls. Actually, nine if you talk about the the fact that you can pop the top of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, the fact that that didn't stick, uh, I think, was uh, a part of it was because obviously the the, the channel F wasn't popular. But uh, the other part, I think, being uh, that it was probably expensive to develop but eventually got back into that whole idea of having an eight-way controller Uh, but the fact that it was available in 76 uh (laughs) makes you wonder go huh how come nobody actually took this idea and ran with it but i know right Mm -hmm. is um i mean even when i was playing the fairchild channel f i was very much confused because i was just trying i don't i can't remember exactly what game i was trying to play but it was just like I want to say primitive, but I don't want to say primitive in a bad way. Mm-hmm. It was just so different. It was just so because with Atari, you can you know what an Atari is. Like you sure. pl- you plop that sucker in, you have a joystick, you have one button. It should be easy to figure out how to do X, Y, and Z. But with the Fairchild, I'm just like holding this controller and holding the knob on top. I was like, this feels so weird. But at the same time, I'm re- I'm just relevating in the history. Is like this is the first cartridge based system. We wouldn't have Nintendo cartridges, or we would have Sega Genesis cartridges, even Atari cartridges without this one thing. Right. And think I'm so glad that nowadays it's getting more and more recognition. I I could not tell you how happy I was as a history nerd to open up Google one day and to see that doodle Jerry Lawson. Right. right. I was like, thank God he's getting uh, um, recognized. He got recognized in high score, and now pe- more and more people are mentioning his name and to me that just means like this is a big this is a big person that should be immortalized in essentially a video game hall of fame because of what he did and i've had people ask me like who would you want to interview that's kind of no longer with us and jerry is the top of my list uh, i would Mine love too. to love to have uh, heard him I've, I've actually watched quite a few interviews with him from the past and uh, the stories he tells are not only intriguing but really really funny as well uh, he tells a story about the fact that he, his kids were basically his game testers, and they uh, they <laughs> always figured out the craziest bugs in the games uh, that really? he was playing. Uh, so there was one that was uh, similar to Pac-Man, and they figured out that if you uh, you know if you go into a certain section of the board, uh, none of the enemies will touch you, and that you can uh, kind of break the third wall, if you will, and move into certain unterritorial space uh, when oh. it comes to the game. Uh, so he was like, "Ah, oh, okay, <laughs> my kids broke the game." <laughs> 
Look out, uh, back to the drawing board, guys, on this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's awesome. Right, so his stories are fantastic. And uh, I think he spent the, the you know last years of his life really focusing on uh, trying to uh, help uh, engineers of color kind of get access to additional funding and better yeah. education. So that, that was also a really cool thing that, that he ended up doing. But, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely would love to interview that guy. No, he's he's also on the top of my list. Like the second I found out his name in that same like five minute span, I also found out that he sadly passed away. And I'm like, damn it. I wanted to talk to I wanted to talk to him. <laughs> we need more Jerry Lawson. Is <laughs> right? yeah, we do. We definitely we definitely do. Um so outside so Obviously, you have a segment on your show called Professor Breibritz Gaming History 101. Right. And in that, it's about like 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes sometimes where you pick one thing of video game history and you just go at it. And you have some amazing um, things you talked about. Too many that I'm trying to pick one. And unfortunately, my brain is just going error 404, cannot find. <laughs> but at, when you were researching uh, this for your show, can you think of the craziest story that you've ever found and you're like no way that's how we got that's how we got insert name here that was a tough one just because uh you know i've done so many of it because if you think about it i've done probably 50 or so right now mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of history to, to pull on that i think one of the the more interesting things where i was researching it going through and just trying to imagine what was happening uh, was the lawsuits uh, between, not a lawsuit, but the congressional hearings between Nintendo versus Sega and the amount of like petty back and forth that they were going through, right? Uh, where, you know, uh, Nintendo was accusing Sega of uh, a multitude of things, including corrupting our youth. And Sega would come back and say, no, 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 Nintendo's doing that too. And just this amazing tit for tat that was happening between those two companies and realistically kind of dragging each other through the mud and probably oh, yeah. led to, you know, the, the console wars that we all engaged in back in the day. Uh, this definitely added fuel to that fire. So, um, you know, there's a part of that aside, uh, you know, collateral of that story is that we all consumed some of this back in the day and went, ah, well, that's why I love Nintendo. This is why I love Sega. And so just the the amount of ire uh, that was brought out during those and certain things that that were said at the time that ended up, you know, flat, fast forwarding into the future being different. For example, uh, Howard Lincoln, who was uh, the the head of the legal team for, for Nintendo of America, said, uh, and I quote, uh, Night Trap will never be on a Nintendo console. I was hoping yeah. you, if I was this close. I'm like, if he doesn't mention Howard Lincoln talking about Night Trap, I am going to I'm not going to be trying to one up you. Uh, but no, I no, want to no. mention that because I you I cannot tell you, uh, Ryan, how hard I laughed yep. when I saw Night Trap <laughs> on LRG's website for the Nintendo, Nintendo Switch. Switch. Okay. Because you mentioned how the the 70s and 80s are your favorite era. My personal favorite is learning about the console war between Sega and Nintendo. I sure. I remember going to the store. I bought um, Blake J. Harris's book, Console War. Mm -hmm. I read that sucker cover to cover. I absolutely adored it. I think that's what helped me solidify my absolute love of learning about video game history. And because I also, I was alive during this era. 
I was, I was part, I, I tell my friends and I tell uh, other guests that I was, I am a veteran of the old console wars. I joined, I ranked up. I, I was on team Sega for the longest time. <laughs> I was, I, uh, I, I was on team Nintendo. So okay. <laughs> I, if, glad if we, we didn't have an amicable <laughs> conversation nowadays. If you, well, if you and I were in the same room, I would be shaking your hand and saying, sir, congratulations on winning a petty little playground <laughs> war. <laughs> And I say that in the uh, I say that in the nicest thing possible because I do. I'm wearing a classically trained shirt. I will not lie. I love Nintendo. Oh yeah. Um. I mean, Sega was the reason I got into video games. I, the very first video game I ever played was Sonic the Hedgehog two. Sonic CD is my favorite video game of all time. But I will not lie. I love Nintendo. Mm-hmm. I I'm, I, uh, I'm in the same boat where I, you know, as an adult, I'd actually never really gotten a chance to play Sega back in the day. And as an adult, uh, started getting into collecting for it. And there are so many games that I'm upset about that I missed from a childhood's per- or a child's perspective, being able to play those games for the first time. Uh, so being it as an adult, you know, it, it's great to go back. But again, having that that mysticism, that wonder of, of being a child and playing them for the first time, I think would have definitely uh, given me a reason to get more into Sega back when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could. I cannot tell you how happy I was when the mini start first started rolling out. Like the NES mini, I waited in line. I drove back at the when the Super Nintendo mini was released. I was working even worse shift. I was working from nine p.m. to five thirty a.m. Yeah, that was worse. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, Ryan, when I got off work that day, when that console dropped, I drove from my job to a <laughs> local Target, stood in line for four for like two and a half hours. Waiting for they were they had the manager of the store showed up, handed us tickets to make sure that we got our that console. I was like number 50 out of 154. So I got myself a Super Nintendo. I drove back home, plugged it in, didn't go to bed until 11 a.m., which for me was really late. And I was like, oh, finally, I got Super Nintendo. And then I got the Sega Genesis for Christmas that year. I was like, I I was 30 years old when I got that stupid thing. <laughs> I was at 30 or 29 years. No, I was 29 when I got it. And I opened it. I ripped it open Christmas and I yelled, Sega! <laughs> As my voice breaks right there. I was, but I was like, Sega! I was just like super happy that I finally got a Genesis. Because I never grew, had a Genesis growing up. My first ever video game console was a PlayStation. And the only way I was able to play a bunch of Sega games is because they ported them from the Genesis to the PC. Right. And my family had a Windows 95, so they saw Sonic CD. They had no idea what they bought me. They just bought me a Sonic game because they knew I love Sonic. Awesome, though. That's that's great that you got a chance to experience that, even though you maybe didn't have the console on hand. Uh, and especially PCs, I think that that's something that uh, is often not talked about as much in our retro gaming circles as this access to old big box PC games and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, but man, I've got a lot of really fantastic memories about having games that were ported over to the PC to play and even games that weren't available on any console at the time, like Doom, for example. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I loved my PC. Uh, I spent a lot of time. My, my my father was somebody who purchased a PC when we were younger. I think it was an Apple II. Um, mm. No, I take it back. It was a, I think it was a Tandy TRS 
80 that he had gotten from a friend and then we got the apple II later on but i remember specifically uh plugging in a uh wheel of fortune game and playing that with my mom on like a five and a quarter floppy uh, wow. as well <laughs> I, I i will say i am what i am part of that generation or i'm one of those 90s kids who does still remember floppy disks <laughs> there you go <laughs> i may i may be a millennial but i'm not i'm an elder millennial so i know something <laughs> you say floppy disk i'm like i know that all these young and all these young and say that's the save icon is like no that's a floppy disk damn it <laughs> oh man and, uh, you know, my dad was kind of a collector of that stuff. So in our computer room, he had um, uh, like memory storage from over the years. And one of the things he had was a plate that was probably, you know, uh, 12 to, to 16 inches across. And that mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, 70s, early 80s technology for storage media that you would. Oh, wow. It had a handle on it. It was so big. This thing was a huge hunk of plastic, round and shaped like a like a vinyl record mm-hmm. and with a big handle on top. And it stored, I think, less than a megabyte worth of space. On this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just a very, megabyte? yeah. So, so. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, just a, just an interesting thing. And then he had, of course, like laser discs up there, which was the mm-hmm. big thing, right? All of a sudden, you've got right, like right. a gig worth of space you can put on this thing, and you know, it was just it, it very interesting, kind of roll back to history uh, growing up. Because maybe that's uh, now that I think of it, maybe my dad had some influence on that whole history thing. Because I remember specifically one day asking what that was and kind of run or ran me through it. And at the time, I didn't really understand what that meant, uh, you know. And now, as as an adult, it's just an interesting look back into kind of where we came from. Yeah, another one of the reasons why I also love learning and and studying and reading about video game history is just how far technology has come in the span of wolf well, atari just celebrated the 50th anniversary so now 50 years right you look at atari 2600 thankfully a system that you can still find today a system that still works because eventually these games will die and it's it's sad but steps are being made to create to still ha- make these playable like you have the atari 50 you have a bunch of other video game compilations out there you have the atari flashbacks and everything mm-hmm. which still plays i mean a, a decent chunk of these games but just seeing how you go from those i don't know two five bit games maybe three bit games really right just seeing the jump from an atari 2600 to a nintendo entertainment system blows me away yeah huge and then you yeah then you go from 16 to from 8 to 16 16 to 32 32 to 64 and now if you look at today like seeing video games today especially with what the playstation 5 can do what the xbox series x could do even what the nintendo switch can do Mm -hmm. and you put that side by side with these old primordial machines and you're like my god how far we've come in such Mm -hmm. a short amount of time because when we talk about video game history, we're not talking things in like in like hundreds, thousands oh, yeah, of years right? ago. This this all this stuff is very recent. It's very modern. And the, the fact that we have there's just still so much compacted in a small amount of time still blows me away. You were talking about how in, in a bunch of retro spaces, PC games aren't really mentioned. And I think and now that I think about it, you're 100 percent right, because. I never had a console. I never had a Nintendo. I mean, eventually I did, but when I was very young, like say kindergarten, first grade, my video game machine was a Windows 95 computer. My dad came home with a copy of Doom that he borrowed from one of his friends. 
And next thing I know, little first grader me, kindergarten younger brother, we're playing Doom, and my mom and my dad are standing there laughing and watching us play. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, when we got Doom, it was from my cousin, and we had to like play it when no one was around because uh, we didn't oh. want to get in trouble. You know, <laughs> we <laughs> asked. So violent. <laughs> I tell my fa- I tell my friends that somehow my parents, the the stars were cosmically aligned, and they're like, "Oh, this game has blood and guts. Sure, the boys are gonna love this." <laughs> I love it. I Absolutely mean, my, my dad was, my dad's a peace officer. Well, he's retired now. He was a peace officer and he did send us down and say, you know, this is fake, right? You're like, oh yeah, of course it's fake. We know this right. is fake. He's like, you know, not to really shoot people, right? Yeah, we know. But these are monsters. They're, that's okay. <laughs> it's a demon. They, they, they were asking for it. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> also, thankfully we weren't in a super religious household because my parents would see that. It's like, oh no. The, it's like, oh right. no. It's like they're next thing I know, I come in there saying, you don't know this, and they're trying to bust it or something. <laughs> you know, it's funny because Blue grew up in, in more of a conservative household in that sense. Mm-hmm. And she she was only allowed 30 minutes worth of playtime a day, uh, which I I got to say that that must have been a rough childhood. But uh, now I understand, I, too, why she yeah. plays so much. It's, it's She's making up for lost time. It's, uh, <laughs> it's I, I mean, if, after a while, my parents did impose a, um, a time limit because. Because when because when I was growing up, we were um, oh no, did you freeze? I think I did. Can you still hear okay. me? Though? Oh yeah, can you still hear me? I can still hear you. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thank goodness. Yeah. Uh, audio listeners, you can't see this, but Ryan, unfortunately, his his camera froze. But thankfully, we could still hear him. So, whew, we're safe there. <laughs> um, it's probably gonna take a while to buffer. Uh, what was what was I saying? Yeah, yeah. Because my parents they also put a restriction on how long my brother and I could play games. Like we had to set a timer. <laughs> oh, <And> nice. <laughs> I feel like blue said she got 30 minutes. I feel her pain. Cause for a while, my parents gave us an hour. Got it. And they wanted us to make sure that that hour started the second we turned the system on. Oh. But then something happened when we were trying to play crash bandicoot three and we had to want, and we were trying to skip the opening cutscene. For some reason, our start button wasn't working that way, or oh. it maybe wasn't reading, so we couldn't skip the cutscene. And that was a good that was eating into a good five minutes of us being able to play the game. So <laughs> we actually went up to our mom and said, "Hey, we can't skip this scene. Can we please start the timer when we hit start and there, or like when we get to the the title screen?" And at first, they're like, "No, you're pl- you're trying to get more time." It's like, no this is what's happening we had to prove to them that we're we're hitting the we're pushing the button but it's not skipping and then she's like okay fine if it has a cut if it has a, a little movie like that you can turn the timer on afterwards and then it went from an hour to an hour and a half to possibly two hours to right. and then they just stopped caring <laughs> But it sounds like you were, uh, you know, starting off in kind of uh, the pseudo lawyer position there where you're like uh, presenting to the court, like, uh, dear mom and dad, uh, we would like to present to you this evidence that uh, (laughs) there was a five minute cutscene that we feel we deserve uh, (laughs) an additional five minutes to play. We deserve to start our time once we get to the level select. (laughs) And it worked. And hell, even my brother going into that pseudo lawyer thing that that's how my brother convinced me to put uh some of my christmas money with him to buy our game boy advance sps because my right. parents they were very much into you get the one console that's it we're not going to get you a upgrade version mm-hmm. and of course when the gba sp came out because we already had i had a game boy advance already i was the only one with the game boy advance and of course since i was the one who had it it should my brother want to play it i had to share and when we saw advertisers for the SP, the fact that it had a, a, a 
It had a backlit screen that it was a rechargeable battery. We never had to go out and buy batteries anymore. We were like, we need that. But my parents were like, you already have a game. It's, it's kind of like when you're driving home, it's like, mom, I'm at McDonald's. We have McDonald's at home. <laughs> I can make you a cheeseburger. It's the same. I promise. <laughs> you know? And it's like, but it's not though. <laughs> so my brother came up to me one day and he, he had a typewriter for some reason. He just wanted a typewriter randomly. And he just started clicking away. He wrote a freaking contract. <laughs> And he gave me a business pitch on why I should give some of my precious Christmas money, which wasn't funny for me. It was like 70 some odd dollars, which when you're, oh God, how old was I? 11, 12, however young I was, I feel like a damn millionaire. And he comes up to me and gives me the exact terms of how much he's going to contribute and how much we need to ask our parents to contribute. We go to my mom I signed the damn contract because <laughs> he convinced me. We go to my mom and she reads it over. We give her the pitch as well. She agrees. And 20 minutes later, we're at the Walmart buying our SPs. I love that. That is such a cool story. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's my like going like we've actually convinced our mom to to put I think she had to like put up like an extra 50 or 40 some odd dollars because we were short. Mm-hmm. And she just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And then when my dad came home, she told him the whole story. He showed him the contract, and he's like, "What the boy with this?" <laughs> so what I think you need to do is to add to your Twitter handle Ben Magnet Esquire, uh, because <laughs> <laughs> clearly <laughs> you deserve that title, sir. That's and, my, uh, that's most that's mostly my younger brother. He was the one hey. who thought that up. He was the one who wanted the SP, and he's like, "I'm short." maybe because he was like he to get what he wanted i also had to be on board but at the same time i got something else as well so right right. it was definitely a win-win for sure (laughs) it it was definitely a win-win but going back uh to talking about how blue was um uh stuck in a on a time limit Mm -hmm. 30 minutes i i don't think i would have survived to be perfectly honest i Uh, think if you had an atari that would have been plenty of time but any oh yeah 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 and I would say NES and beyond, maybe you'd be okay because you could like play 30 minutes. You could get past the super hard level, Super Mario sure. Bros. Uh, like, because unfortunately, I, I have a little bit of a gamer confession, if if I may, uh, mm-hmm. Ryan. I have never beaten the original Super Mario Brothers. I was in the same boat as you until probably three years ago. Okay. So, so as far as I'm not the only one. Right, exactly. I, and you know what? I don't think, you know, when I was a kid, I beat a lot of games. I, I could probably be a handful of games I actually beat. I just enjoyed playing them, seeing the visuals mm-hmm. and doing the stories. Uh, the one game I was very proud of as a kid to beat was Donkey Kong Country. I remember that specifically, uh, you know, getting to, to King K. Rule and then seeing the, the credits. And then all of a sudden it says the end question mark. And then you're, you got to <laughs> continue the battle. Uh, that was fun. And uh, as an adult, though, one of the things that I've done that I... Uh, I was so close to doing as a kid that just never really got there. I uh, was beating Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson's punch out. Oh. But recently I've remedied that. And now I, I can pretty consistently beat him uh, just because I'm familiar with the patterns and, and what mm-hmm. to do at, at certain times. But I remember as a kid getting to him and just being like, what is this? You know, I, <laughs> this is what a, what a change in, in, in difficulty I'm running into here. Cause I mean, super macho man is tough. Don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. 
a one shot knockdown at the for the first minute and 30 seconds of a round that it just seemed so incredibly difficult and hard I just remember being so incredibly frustrated. And then as an adult, when I beat him the first time, it was like, ah, I can close this chapter out of my life. I've done it. <laughs> I feel comfortable. I, you know what? The, I, I'm going to have that put that on my epitaph when I uh, pass away, right? It's like, here lies Ryan Payne, a.k.a. Retro Game Brews, a.k.a. Professor Rye Bread. He finally beat Mike Tyson. Exactly. <laughs> and they just put the code 007, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you just put the Mike Tyson punch out code. I only, I never grew up with Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. Or by Mike Tyson, I mean Mike Tyson's punch out. Um, And uh, back in 2020, before the pandemic hit, me and my friends, we were out in Arizona for spring training because all of our favorite baseball teams play out there. Nice. And there's a um, a microbrew called 8-Bit Aleworks. And it's my favorite microbrew in the entire world because it's all video game themed. There's del- They make their delicious uh, adult beverages. Mm-hmm. And they also have a bunch of consoles set up. So you, as you drink, you could play video games. Oh, and one that. of the games they had was, of course, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. I had never really played Punch-Out. So right before we leave to go watch the Dodgers play, uh, my buddy puts in a code, the code to play Mike to fight Mike Tyson. I get demolished. <laughs> I don't think I last like a minute. <laughs> I think I lasted 45 seconds against uh, Mike Tyson, but because I've never played the game, I never really tried to punch out before. Mm-hmm. I mean, thankfully it's on the mini and the super punch out is on my super Nintendo mini. But Punch-Out was never one of those games that I was really into because I wasn't a big fan of boxing games. I like fighting games, don't get me wrong, but boxing games were just, the mechanics were a little bit different that I didn't really understand it or I didn't think I was going to like. Thankfully, I do because I really enjoy playing Super Punch-Out and I want to give Punch-Out another go. But just the fact that Mike Tyson just like knocked me out in two punches, I'm just sitting there going, huh. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> and of course, my friend who punched in the code, who had the damn thing memorized, he's like laughing. He's taking pictures like this man got utterly demolished. I'm like, yeah, yes, I did. <laughs> I, will not, I will not shy away from the fact that I got utterly destroyed. <laughs> and, you know, my love for punch out, though, really started because I begged and begged and begged my parents to pick me up a power glove as a kid. Uh, so they ended up doing that, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh when I opened it, because I was very excited <laughs> to play it. Uh, and so I, I spent hours trying to get to, uh, as far as I could with the power glove. And actually, I, if I remember right, I did fairly well. I got past the, the first piston Honda, uh, and I think it got past uh, King Hippo. But after that, I don't think that the power glove was really up to snuff to get there. <laughs> uh, so finally, you know, take it off and, and, and holding it like it's a, a controller and playing through it after that. But uh, I because there was the motion portion of it there was this love for the game that's there's so much nostalgia for me as well uh i would love to someday strap on the power glove because i I ended up picking one up a few years ago and giving it a go again see if i can get as far as possible uh the last time i played it i actually brought it over to a friend's house in new york and we tried to play a bunch of games on this thing (laughs) and uh yeah it was it was more funny than it was uh, (laughs) anything else uh Because I, it, it just, it doesn't work very well. It, no, it doesn't. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> but I, it looks really, really cool. So uh, there. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's just an interesting piece kind of from mm-hmm. a nostalgia perspective for sure. Yeah. I have a weird fascination with the power glove. Mm-hmm. I, 
I've never seen The Wizard. That's definitely one of those movies where I just I want to watch it just because I I only know about it through osmosis. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this stupid clip of I love the power glove. It's so bad. <laughs> or and I always had like this weird fascination with the power glove and how I've never tried one on. I just want to try that on the power glove, take a picture just once in my life. <laughs> I if I ever own a power glove, it's just gonna be for some weird cosplay thing. Oh yeah. My friend my friends on the Fickner cause uh the cosplay, uh, my my friends on Fickner podcast, the, the main podcast I'm a part of, they call me nostalgia's bitch. <laughs> <laughs> They're not wrong, unfortunately. <laughs> and even though I never grew up with the power glove, I know that I somewhat know the history of the power glove. I know the power glove is supposed to be like to was supposed was the first step in making this grand, like, oh, video games can be more than that. Oh, virtual reality. Ooh, you right. know, the stuff you see in science fiction novels and Star Trek. But I just want to wear the power glove. And for some reason, even though I have uh, a replica Infinity Gauntlet downstairs, mm -hmm. if I were to ever hold on the, the power glove, I'd be like, perfectly balanced. <laughs> I, was, I will feel like Thanos. I don't care. <laughs> you know what? I, I There's got to be somebody out there that's turned a power glove into Infinity Gauntlet. They and, did. I yeah. saw a picture of it on Twitter the other day. It looks God, so I freaking love, cool. I love the internet. <laughs> there are that times so I hate the internet and there are times I love the internet. Right. And this is one of those times I love the internet. Yes, for sure. That's funny. But yeah, I just want to hold up. Just want to wear a power glove. I just want to take like one time. I want to say I was at um, SoCal Gaming Expo. This was last year, and there was like this small little video game museum that was uh, that was doing a little travel thing, and they had a power glove. And I asked if I could try it on, and they said they looked at me all weird. It's like, why do you want to try on the power glove? And I'm trying to tell them, I was like, look, I know it's stupid. I just want to try it on. I just want to take a picture of me wearing it. Is there any way I can do that? And they're like, uh, no. <laughs> That's I, one of those, like, uh, throwing a soundbite. Da, 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 da. <laughs> uh, I can already hear Donnie and blue making, like making some other joke of that. <laughs> it's like, when you guys listen to this, I can already hear the jokes. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Uh, at the end of the day, uh, I think, the one problem that you run into lately with the power glove as well is that it it's hard to find one that works. And that's yeah. the biggest disappointment for me because yeah. there were uh, times I was hunting for it. Cause I definitely wanted to kind of relive that nostalgia factor from a kid uh, for being a kid and uh, going out there, trying to find a working one that still had the sensors and still had mm -hmm. the hookups and everything that was exceedingly difficult. And I just yeah. so happened to have found one on Craigslist uh, with somebody who, kind of didn't know what they had too which was was mm -hmm. fantastic uh they referred to it as a uh, nintendo glove which cool <laughs> that they're not wrong <laughs> they are not wrong <laughs> and so uh yeah i went over and i, I go it works right and they're like uh i think so it, it, you know okay sure so brought it home with the the understanding i was paying considerably less than it was probably worth with mm -hmm. the, the uh obvious fear or risk that it wouldn't work and turned it on and sure enough it it started lighting up on me i was like oh my goodness please please uh walked in and plugged in mike tyson's punch out and knocked out uh glass joe uh within the first 42 seconds i was like yes <laughs> this thing finally works fantastic so uh 
got that and i probably haven't really touched it since then since you know obviously we did the stream so maybe that's something now you're 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 you know fueling this fire in me to play it again so uh that might happen pretty soon so that, thank you that, thank you for that <laughs> you are very much welcome i mean if i ever go if i you and i ever meet i uh face to face and like say i'm in new york somewhere and then you and you were somewhere where you have the power glove mm-hmm. i'm trying it on oh i'm bringing it with me anytime i I, I just want to try this on i just want to get the picture of it i, I don't even care if i get it, like say, like say down the line um, I'm at like say a PRGE or another video game convention here in California, and I someone is selling a power glove, like a broken power glove for much less than I don't care if it doesn't work because I still have my original NES. I'm, I haven't plugged it in yet. I plan to turn that into like a little museum piece. Nice. Um, because I have my mini and I could also get a clone console for the cartridges should I want to play them. Right. Um, I just want a power glove because I think it's fun. I think it's a dumb thing. It's a like the wizard. I haven't seen the wizard. I, I would love to watch the wizard, but I know what the power glove is. I know it was something it tried to be something that the technology wasn't there for yet, but I just want, I don't care if it's broken. I just want to wear it. Cause I think it's cool. <laughs> Cause and I, I just, think I'm in the same cool boat thing. though, as you where uh, I just want to have something to just have it sometimes, you know, yeah. I don't care if it's, you know, like the most pristine copy of something or, or what have you. Uh, for example, Donnie was showing me pictures uh, from, I think it was PRGE and uh, there, <laughs> there was a copy of the mystique, uh, Atari 2600 game uh, that is a uh, very adult themed is what I'll call mm. it. Right. Mm. And uh, goes by the name of beat and eat them. And uh, it <laughs> I was sealed. You. Yes, it was sealed. So uh, clearly I'm not going to do anything with, it. I just wanted to have it. It was yeah. kind of something like as a conversation piece, people come over and go, what's that? I'm like, Oh, let me tell you the history <laughs> of Atari adult games. <laughs> so you know, that's, I totally get that mentality. I, I think it's okay to want something just to want it. And you know what? Uh, again, it's about creating some conversation about the things that that happened back in the day and, you know, allowing people to, to understand where video games came from. So yeah. it's, it's, it's that conversation piece that will hopefully uh, either bore somebody to death or really get them excited about the history of video mm-hmm. games. So Yeah, and... And even when you were talking about how you found your power glove um, mm-hmm. for a very decent price, it reminded me because um, we both had Patrick Brickhouse. He's a friend of my show. He's a friend of yours, obviously, um, of the Retro Blast podcast. And he, when he told me his story of how he got his CIB Game Boy for $20 off wow. of Facebook Marketplace, it, it makes me mad. Not that he got it for a really cheap price. I am stupid happy that he was able to get it. But the fact that I live in Southern California and people actually know their shit. Right. Or they at least have a decent idea of how much things are worth over here. It's like, damn it. Why can't I get deals like that out here? And you know what? Donnie lives in St. Louis. And that seems to be uh, an area where there's a lot of nostalgia available to him, including toys and video games that people don't seem to know how much they're worth. So he's getting these crazy deals here where I'm living in Atlanta, Georgia. Everybody knows how much it's worth. And more than likely, if it's on Facebook marketplace, it's for twice the value that it would go on eBay for. Uh, So I, yes, I look at Facebook marketplace every day and it's every day. I'm most likely going to be disappointed. 99 times out of a hundred, I'm going to be disappointed. Uh, The only thing that I've been able to pick up recently uh, was a, a, <clears throat> a Dreamcast uh, that was a Sega Sports Dreamcast, but the black one, 
the black one. Yep. Yeah. But I had to drive out of my way to get it. So it was about an hour and 10 minutes. It was like Northwest of Atlanta in order to get there. And at the time I found it while my in-laws were in town. And so I said to my father-in-law, like, Hey, uh, want to go for a drive? It's like, sure. Where are we going? I was like, I'll let you know when we get there. <laughs> and we pull up to this Walmart that's in the middle of nowhere. And uh, this uh, pickup truck gets out. And there's probably six kids in the back of the pickup truck. Oh, no. And, yeah, so, oh, no. Yeah, one of them jumps out with, like, you know, a plastic bag with all the stuff in it and hands it to me. And I'm like, oh, okay, good. Uh, this interaction went better than uh, I expected when they pulled up. But uh, did, you yeah. hand, did you hand him the money? Did you hand him the money? Yes, so I'm like, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine because I'm just going to assume that your father in law has no idea, isn't really much of a video gamer himself. No, no, yeah, I can only imagine that you're doing a drug deal, <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> it's like, what's in the bag, Ryan? <laughs> take, take a look. What's this black box? That's a Sega, that's a Sega Sports Sega Dreamcast. <laughs> what's a Sega Dreamcast? <laughs> you know, what's funny though is that my mother in law. I uh, loves coming over our house because I've got a arcade one up uh, countertop of uh, Miss Pac-Man and Pac-Man. And she will play that day in and day out when she comes over. She has the high score on my machine. She is amazing at that game. And I will wake up in the morning because well, uh, what I'll do, I've, I do when she comes over is I put it down in the kitchen at like kind of the breakfast area. I'll wake up and it'll be six o'clock in the morning getting ready for work. And she's been on that thing for hours already, you know, sipping her coffee, going to town on on Miss Pac-Man. Uh, so I, it's funny, you know, my parents weren't really that big into it, but uh, she just loves, loves, loves Miss Pac-Man. So we get a chance to kind of chit chat about that. So it's fun. I love it. That that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would definitely that would def- I remember because the fact that your mother-in-law has a high score on your own machine, right? I, that would definitely like light a fire on my like if, my my parents uh, don't really play video games, but if my mom because I don't own any arcade one-up stuff yet, um, if I were to have like an arcade one-up and my mom was the one who just set the high score on my Pac-Man or my Galaga or whatever, I'm mm-hmm. I'm playing that sucker to try and beat that damn high score. Oh, I have. I've tried and oh. she is really, really good. She has like, uh, I think, what is it? It's it's over a hundred thousand points. She's, she's oh, the thing. Yeah. I went to an arcade yesterday and I was trying to, I was, and they had a version of Miss Pac-Man where Pat, Miss Pac-Man was, was very quick. She was very sped up mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay. And I was, I was getting farther than I've ever gotten in a Miss Pac-Man game, but in my entire life, I went, got to the red maze. I was eating the pretzel. Nice. I was like, man, this is the farthest I've ever gotten. And I look up and I'm thinking, man, I should, because this arcade every time every day they reset the high scores right and i thought to myself oh man i should be up on the leaderboard i'm nowhere close <laughs> oh, man just, such a just, disappointment you know? <laughs> i think i got sixty thousand points on that on my run and i was very proud of myself that sure. was the best miss pac-man i mean yeah she was sped up to high heaven it wasn't a normal miss pac-man game but at the same time, like, man, I did pretty good for myself. I look at the high score and it's like a hundred, it's like 200,000 points. And I'm sitting there over at like 60, 60 grand. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there going, well, then <laughs> how about that? <laughs> how about that? <laughs> just uh, like we... utterly defeated. But at the oh, same yeah. time, still pr- trying to like hype myself. I was like, but you went farther than ever before. I was like, yeah, it didn't not even close though. Right. And you know, I uh, went to Southern Fried Gaming Expo with, with Donnie and uh, our friend uh, Crunchy Kong. And so we were there for a few days and they had a versus duck hunt 
uh, machine. And wow. I, I was determined to get the high score on that. And so it was pretty high. It was, uh, I think it was like 250,000 points, which is, it's a lot in, in versus duck hunt. So, uh, yeah. going day after day, getting closer, getting closer, getting closer. I finally get to the point where I'm about to beat the high score. I'm uh, only a few thousand points away and they've got this enormous blow up of Mario. And the thing for some reason or another uh, came unhooked from the, the toes that were keeping it to the, uh, the ground and it ends up falling over and hitting the power cord for all the Mark arcade machines in that row. And it, a, it stopped me in the middle of a really good run, but B it erased all of the high scores. So I was so disappointed. <laughs> and it, it, the, the eruption of all these people going, Oh, is this thing all of a sudden turned off all the machines <laughs> and come to find out it was this little kid that was playing around and trying to get a picture. And he like hit the, uh, one of the, the lines that was tying it down. And course. so of course everybody's like staring at it. And the, the dad who is standing next to this kid, is just like, I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I, I mean, went back though. I went back and, and got higher than the original high score, but I couldn't show off that I had beaten yeah. a decent high score. So yeah. Yeah. Was- but at least you set a good high score though. Right. Right. At least you set it. And at the same time, when the second you tell me it was a little kid playing around with the Mario, part mm-hmm. of me just like, just goes, mm-hmm. but the exact same time, something I've been noticing, especially when I went to PRGE and we have a few conventions and a few things here in California that we can go to that are, retro video game oriented that are retro arcades. There are still a few peppered around in the Southland. Mm-hmm. Uh, adults bring their, like parents bring their kids and these are small kids too. And I've even seen grandparents bring their grandkids. Love that. And that there's like these, and that these younger gen, the, like the younger generation, the very youngest generation now who are playing video games. It's not to them. It's not just about PlayStation, Xbox, and the Nintendo switch. Granted, they still had those at home. And of course I have mine at home. I'm not, I don't take, you can cry my PS five out of my cold dead hands. first. <laughs> but the fact that the younger generation, they're coming to see, and they're coming to these conventions, they're going to these arcades and they're playing games and they're having fun. And their parents are saying like, I remember playing this when I was your age. Right. And the fact that the kids aren't complaining about it, I mean, they might say something that's like, wow, this doesn't look anything like Fortnite, but their play is like, yo, this is actually really fun. Or when I see pictures of parents, there's this one picture I saw, I want to say it was either on Instagram or Twitter, where it was his youngest, it was uh, his son and three of his friends. He busted out his Super Nintendo with the multi-tap, plugged in Turtles in Time. All four of them were playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time. Love it. On the Super Nintendo. And they were getting to the last, they were like at the second to last stage, I think. Yep. And the caption read, this has never made me happier as a parent that my youngest Aww. son is playing Turtles in Time with his friends. It like, it was a flashback of what he did in the nineties with his friends. And to that point, I think that this younger generation has found these games to be as entertaining as we found them and that's the beauty of all of this and in fact it's created an interesting kind of uh side uh you know 
community of younger kids that are really interested in retro. And especially mm-hmm. when it comes to things like esports, the best players in the world when it comes to Tetris nowadays are younger than 16 years old. They are Yo. getting involved with it. So, I mean, if you look at PRGE every year, they have the championships, you know, world championships oh, for Tetris. Oh, oh no, I saw. Oh, yeah. I and saw some of that. I was, I, I consider myself a decent fan of player of Tetris. I'm, I'm okay at Tetris. I love Tetris. Tetris is one of those games that I will never get tired of. I don't know how many times I bought different copies of Tetris. A new thing of Tetris comes out, I'm probably going to buy it. But seeing these people at, at um, the classic Tetris World Championships at PRGE, what they're doing, how they're holding the D-pad, mm-hmm. I'm just sitting there going, nope, nope, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> out of my league, out of my league. I am I am utter garbage compared to these guys. And the crazy part is the progression of, of that holding the, the controller in a specific way has really changed over the years. So when uh, classic Tetris World Championship started off in kind of the you know late or early 2010s. It was uh, this process called DAS, which means that you specifically hold the the D pad in one direction or another before the mm-hmm. the piece drops to try to get it from one side to the other. The problem with that is that when you're working at really high levels, the speed is so great that sometimes you're going to miss. So the progression became into what they call hyper tapping, which was pressing the 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 D pad, you know tens of times a second in order to get the the piece over and now it's called rolling where you tap the bottom of the uh the controller with your fingers and kind of roll your fingers across it like you're you know tapping and letting somebody know that you're impatient uh and as a result of that you can get more button presses in and now that that whole entire progression has made it so that it's a lot easier for players to play at a high level because it doesn't require an understanding of how desk works or how tap hyper tapping works and the fact that that is all still alive and well today is just such a testament to how great that game is and or was and still is uh when it comes to tetris and no wonder these people yeah. keep beating me at tetris 99 <laughs> seriously i've never gotten tetris maximus in tetris 99 i've i mean i haven't it's been a while since i last played tetris 99 mm-hmm. but when that first came out i loved that concept i thought tetris 99 was was a great idea mm-hmm. it was a perfect way to get to have people play classic tetris again or at least make tetris even more competitive they already can be with the classic tetris world championships but the highest i've ever gotten was third place and that makes me mad <laughs> highest i ever gotten was second so i was uh, very very upset uh because i was doing well it was that oh my god oh my god oh my god i'm gonna do this and then, me too boom all of a sudden my entire you know screen raises up and it's like oh no and you get to that point and all of a sudden you're like you're you're doing great and all of a sudden it just like rises up and you're just like how just how <laughs> does that happen I, I think i also got second too i think i've got second as well but i definitely know that i've had amazing runs in tetris mm-hmm. or at least in tetris 99 and i just constantly just can't get that tetris maximus when pac-man 99 came out i'm like i don't know but then it's like i got the the pac-man i've gotten the first place a few times in pac-man so i'm like okay at least i can say i've gotten first place right. there but then i look over to tetris and i'm like why do you torture me so <laughs> you know kind of bring it back to that with this younger generation idea i think what's cool about it too is the fact that there is so many opportunities for them to also learn about the history of video games mm-hmm. nowadays oh yeah uh, and, uh, you know, these kids are getting exposure to, uh, you know, these arcade games at places like PRGE and, you know, all the different comms like, you know, Midwest Gaming Classic and, and too many games. 
which is great because right now, if you look at arcades, if you go into your you know average roller rink or Dave and Buster's, it's all ticket games nowadays, right? Yeah. And while those are fun, I have a, a blast with them. The, the the problem with those is that often they're rigged. <laughs> so yeah. they want you to put your money into it. Yep. And two, it just doesn't capture the same magic. I think that Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, you know, even uh, some of the stuff that was in the 90s, like, you know, House of Dead 2 and, and all those games that uh, I ended up playing by going to your, your local cinema. Uh, now those kids have access to those things in an environment that's similar to how we experienced them, where it was crowds of people around, you know, there's a lot of, uh, noise and, and kind of, it's a cacophony, but everybody's there to have fun. And, you know, so I just love that concept. I think that overall that keeps this hobby alive, especially when we're yeah. talking about the retro scene. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And even now that I'm an adult, because when I was a kid, I would love to go to ticket machines. I would love going to oh, Chuck yeah. E. Cheese. But even when I was at Chuck E. Cheese, I re constantly remember playing the the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, arcade game. Love it. And I could barely, and we can never get past the first bo the first boss, which I want to say is Bebop. If I'm if my memory serves, it is the yeah. yeah where he the fire is all around you in the yeah the, like, and. We could, I could not beat that stage when I was a kid. And of course, I'm always going to my dad to, to beg for money for more tokens. And he's like, oh, no. Or even playing the original Jurassic Park arcade, not the one where the Lost World, the original Jurassic Park oh, yeah. one where you have the two sticks and there's a cross there and you have to shoot the, t and you have to shoot the dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. We loved that game. And I want to say I was listening to the most recent episode of, um, of Gamers Week where you had someone talk about like the pachinko style TMT game where you drop a ball in the top yep. and it goes play play plank that I was like I remember that game <laughs> I loved that game I didn't know what but then I I see what a pachinko machine is I'm like oh that's just like the TSB the turtles game over at uh, Chuck E Cheese <laughs> gambling what <laughs> you know I got a, an interesting history with pachinko my dad went to Japan in the uh, mid 90s and brought Ooh. back a pachinko machine uh, for us to to have at the house what and yeah I I played that pachinko machine so much that i wore out the gears on the the handle and <laughs> my dad had to order off uh from a japanese manufacturer to get the replacement parts for it <laughs> but uh to this day in my dad's basement you can find the little ball bearings somewhere if you look hard enough they're there's you know they're under uh, a piece of furniture or they're even under the carpet at some points uh oh my yeah. god <laughs> That is, I mean, I, I just recently, I went to uh, Laughlin, Nevada recently. Um, it's, it's kind of like a Vegas junior or as I, as oh, I, I, yeah, I used to, I lived in uh, Vegas for about 18 months. So I'm oh, okay. very, very familiar with Laughlin for sure. All right. Awesome. So, so, you know what Laughlin is? Yeah. Cause my girlfriend, she's never been. And when we're going through the casino of Laughlin and I see a bunch of Konami slot machines, I'm like, Mm, I, I kind of give them the side eye a little sure. bit <laughs> because uh, I, I know Konami, they're just making a bunch of, I mean, thankfully now they're, they're doing a little bit, a little bit better with their actual video games division. Right, but right. I, I, I see these slot machines. I know about the, the bajillion and a half pachinko machines over in Japan that Konami has made and developed. And I'm just kind of like giving them the side eye is like, you guys made Castlevania, you sons of bitches. <laughs> You're better than this, guys. You're yeah, better. Yeah, than it's this. like you're better than this, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But it was, I, I will not lie. I was even telling uh, my girlfriend about how I was like, oh, hey, Konami. She's like, wait, Konami, I know that name. And I was like, yeah, this is what they've been doing for the past X amount of years. They've just been making slot machines and Pachico machines because that's where the money is for them. Right. Not just, I mean, they are a business. I can't give them too much crap because it's a slot machine. You, you people get money from slot machines or right. the, the makers in the house, they get money from slot machines. But still, it's just seeing knowing what Konami's history is with Metal Gear, Silent Hill, Castlevania, and some, and of course, them making those classic THB Ninja Turtles arcade games, them developing the, the, um, the games of the Ninja Turtle games that we've all known love. Thankfully, they're on the, the Cowabunga collection, mm-hmm. and just seeing them resort to only making these slot machines, it kind of hurts my heart a little bit, but still. That's life, I guess. Yeah, it's the same with uh, with Sega Sammy. Their biggest, oh yeah, yeah, biggest focus is Pachinko as well. But thankfully enough, Sega has kind of found their way back a little bit now. Making a you know a three inch Game Gear for you to play, not exactly the, the route I wanted them to go, <laughs> but uh, I nonetheless, uh, Sonic is just uh, make a regular, back. just make right. a regular size Game Gear, put a bunch of games on it, make it chargeable. Because I mean, I bought this uh the um the mario brothers game and watch because it was a little nostalgia trap but it has rechargeable battery color screen and all that and all that mm. great things i'm like hey this is a good idea and then i saw that the game gear minis i'm like but they're so small <laughs> game you know, the gear game, games yeah the game boy micro was okay uh yeah i get that but it was yeah. you know it was something you could plug other games into and play it wasn't just you know uh kind of uh, plug and play not uh, kind of yeah. but just like a little emulation machine with four games on it come on you can yeah. do so much better than that just like at that point just make a full-size game gear with like half the game because the game gear games aren't that big and a right. lot of a good chunk of them are sonic games you could just like if you want to make different versions just make a sonic blue one and a not sonic blue one and then boy uh look at me i'm giving you money already <laughs> oh i would be all over that too and i would play it all oh, the yeah. time for sure yeah and also guess what i got for christmas this year what a Genesis Mini 2. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up picking up a Mega Drive Tower Mini 2, thinking that it was a Sega Genesis CD uh, plug and play. And come to find out, it is just a decoration. Uh, <laughs> so. I seriously think that Sega missed a huge market where oh they goodness. could. I mean, okay, this is kind of going back to what Sega did in the 90s with the CD and the 32X, but if they had made those compatible with the Genesis or with the with the Genesis Mini 2, and you actually just like maybe daisy chain like with a power or just like do something with have like an adapter for the power supply mm-hmm. and just attach it, have like an actual port where you could just plug it in. And then, oh, you have access to this selection of CD games. Oh, you have the 32X. Here's all of them. You have access to all these games. That would have been so worth it. Oh, absolutely. instead of just having them as like decorations, you go and play uh, Justice games. Because one of the problems I have with Sega, don't get me wrong, I do still love Sega, but they really need to stop holding on to the Genesis and the Genesis only. Completely I agree. cannot tell you how much I would love Sega Saturn games on the NS on the Nintendo Switch Online service or a Sega Saturn Mini. I would if Sega can take the um the faults that the PlayStation Classic had, mm-hmm. but make it a and, and apply it to the Saturn is like not take the faults but take the lessons learned from the right. PlayStation Mini and apply it to a Saturn Mini or even a Dreamcast Mini that thing would sell gangbusters oh absolutely and especially when you talk about the Saturn considering there's such a huge library of games that never made it outside of Japan mm-hmm. uh 
imagine the amount of, of people who would you know wait in line to get access oh, yeah. to games uh even though you know if you own a saturn now you can get one of those uh region unlock carts to plug in the back it's still it's something where it's difficult to import those games and it's very expensive to do so so mm-hmm. uh you know if, even if they made it a hundred bucks i would be all in Make one oh. that's the regular gray. Make one that's the Sega Sports and go crazy with it. I would buy both of them, or uh, even, or even it's like, hey, you can have like American versions of both. Uh, you can, you can like access the Japanese and American versions, but it's like you can choose your color. You could have the original black. You could have right. the original gray. Yep. You could have the Sega Saturn white. Yes, I would love a white oh, Sega Saturn. Please, please. Yeah, but I mean, who knows what they're gonna do? Hopefully, Sega will do something like that down the line or at least put the games on the nso i would i would be so happy if they were to put saturn games on nso because saturn games now are just so stupid expensive oh yeah. i was i saw a it wasn't even a cib it was a missing manual panzer dragoon for the sega saturn it had the, it was in the box it had the game but the manual was missing do you know how much uh, a video game store was selling that sucker for tell me and i'm, I'm no i'm going to be disappointed 150 jeez or either something without the manual that. too, right? Without the manual, it was either hundred or hundred. It was. How was, it was the still, game case? Was it correct as well? <laughs> had some scuffs. It had some scuffs on it, but it wasn't like completely like destroyed. It was like it was still a decent case. So you could tell this was taken on and off the shelf a lot. Sure, but still, like seeing seeing games like that, and especially Saturn games, because I never saw when I went to PRG this last year. I never thought I would see a complete North American Sega Saturn collection until I saw it at PRG. There was a little Sega Saturn lounge, and I'm like, wow, what's with all the Saturn love? And, and being able to play Saturn games, because I've never owned a Saturn. Saturn was one of those things that I knew it was Sega. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, unfortunately, if it did have Sonic on it, I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was that kid, like with the Dream, because I thought it went from Genesis to Dreamcast, not Genesis, Saturn, then Dreamcast. Gotcha. Because you know, I was I knew what I liked, and I liked Sonic the Hedgehog. There was no Sonic, there was no mainline Sonic game for the Saturn outside of Sonic R. Mm-hmm. You know, that was also released on the on the PC. I played it on the PC. I played it on my Windows. And not the greatest game, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I was just about to say that. <laughs> I mean, I personally like it because I have a deep uh connection to it, but sure. other than that, it's not a good game. <laughs> It's not that good. <laughs> I can fully admit to Sonic R not being that good. So, uh, Ben, just to kind of a, a quick thing here. My wife just messaged me. She's not feeling too well, so she actually... All right, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap this up. I have one yeah, more question Yeah, I apologize. It's all good. So, yep. right, so, And also, we're heading on our time anyways. Mm-hmm. So before you go, uh, Ryan, I do have one quick question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is it that other people learn video game history? Because I do think that video game history should... Maybe it shouldn't be like part of the main curriculum. I still believe it should be elective. I think there's great lessons to be learned in video game history. But how important is it to you that other people should at least learn a little bit about video game history? Well, I think especially if you're interested in getting into the gaming industry, having some perspective of how history has has come along and the you know successes and, and potentially pitfalls of how gaming has progressed over the years, I think is always extremely, you know, the the idea that history repeats itself is is very, very true. Even considering how short of a timeline we're really looking at here, because obviously mm-hmm. people are very much still alive that were involved back then. Uh, so yeah, there is there's definitely a part of that. The other part too is is uh, kind of 
holding on to this understanding of the video game progression over years, I think is also extremely important for people. You know, it's, you know, we look at history from a political sense or from a military sense and that looking at that as being an important thing for people to know uh, video games, I think fall into to the same category. Uh, it's not exactly as groundbreaking as in you know, a war between two countries, but nonetheless, it's it's a great way for us to be able to chronicle how technology has progressed over the years and how we and consume media and entertainment has changed and really hasn't changed over the years. So yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I think it's it's extremely important, but uh, not everybody is into history, so I can certainly understand that. But for <laughs> for those of us who are, I think it's an, an important piece uh, I mean, to remember. I mean, you were talking about how it, how video game history isn't as, I mean, is as big as a war between two nations. But at the same time, I don't know. I remember some very heated <laughs> fights in the early '90s. Oh yeah, the the recess. Uh, oh back god, and forth, right? Yeah. Oh, you got I a remember. kid wearing a Nintendo shirt. You got a kid wearing a Sega shirt, and they're on the other side of the playground, and they're just extending their arms crossed and yelling <laughs> at each other, only to find out that they both liked the other guy's system anyway. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, one hundred percent. Would never admit that, but yeah. No, on the playground, never. Behind closed doors, oh hell yeah. <laughs> Bless processing dude you know <laughs> <laughs> oh god i love that marketing tactic but anyways oh ryan thank you so much for coming on and chatting yeah. with me about video game history it's been an absolute blast you have an open invite to come back on the show whenever you want fantastic um, but before bef oh, go ahead. Uh, oh no no uh before you go where can people find you on the internet so for myself, uh, I'm on Twitter. It's at RetroGameBrew, so I keep it pretty easy with that one. But uh, if you're interested in finding a little bit more about our podcast, Gamers Week podcast, we're available on pretty much any app that you can download podcasts for. Uh, we also do have a Twitter account at Gamers Week PC. And if you are interested in supporting the show and getting involved with our kind of uh, patron-only community, we do have a Patreon. Uh, it's basically, it's five bucks a month, uh, but it gives you access to a really cool Discord, uh, Discord events as well, and, uh, you know, a chance to really interact with a group of like-minded people. So if that's something you're interested in, definitely check it out, but it's patreon.com slash gamersweek. Yes, and of course, go ahead and listen to Gamers Week podcast. It's an, truly an amazing show. I absolutely love listening to you guys every week. It's one of my highlights. Um, when Aww. I get to listen to you guys on my drive to and from work. And yeah, so definitely go check right now. Check out the rest of the show, uh, Gamers Week Podcast. And of course, you can find me at BenMaga27, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Fake Nerd Podcast. You can find them all over the internet at um, FakeNerdPodcast.com. That's the main hub. That's probably where you found this. So if you <laughs> want to check out Fake Nerd's other shows, go to FakeNerdPodcast.com. Links to our YouTube, Patreon. It's all there. And Ryan, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been an absolute blast. Oh, man, I've had so much fun. And thank you so much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to, to doing this again sometime. I would That would be great. And until next time, unpause. <laughs>